everyone is going through something. And the way that they present at work at times, you would never, ever know how much in their personal lives they're struggling with. So to say thank you for that project, when in the grand scheme of things, even though it may be important to the company, it is so minor in terms of their life experience. It's important to just say thank you. It goes such a long way. Welcome to Measures of Gratitude from Work Human. I'm Mike Lovett. This is the fourth and final episode, Gratitude, the whole point. Life is exciting, huh? We have all sorts of things to celebrate. Weddings, birthdays, graduations, babies being born, a new house, a new job, a new pet. So many things can change your life like that. And celebrating with the people you're grateful for, it's like riding a bike downhill. Because for big events like that, it's a pretty big hill you climb first. Planning the wedding or interviewing for the job or sitting in a meeting as your child kicks you in your stomach. It's at those points where you need to pedal a little harder to practice gratitude. Now life is going to bleed into work. Sometimes it will be a joy and celebratory. Sometimes it won't. And this series is the case to acknowledge and embrace that. And here to help me make that case is our guest. My name is Sharon Epperson. I am CNBC's senior personal finance correspondent. Maybe you've seen Sharon on TV, on the Today Show, NBC News, or on various CNBC programs. She's been there since 96. She's also the author of The Big Payoff, eight steps couples can take to make the most of their money and live richly ever after. I've always been interested in stories. And so I started my career as a journalist looking for great stories, working at Time Magazine in the New York Bureau, doing a variety of different types of stories. My bureau chief at the time said, you cannot work in the New York Bureau and be a reporter here and not cover business. We're in the financial capital of the U.S., of the world. So I found a story about a philanthropist, a woman who never went to college, worked for the government, for the IRS for her whole career. And decided, though, that she wanted to be able to, I think, leave more than she had. And so she was an investor, but she wasn't someone who lived off of her investments. She lived below her means, but made quite a lot of money investing in things that she knew, like consumer goods and like entertainment companies. And she ended up donating on her death, donating all that she had invested and all the money she made to a university to provide scholarships for young women. And so I kind of fell into business news that way. Her career is what Sharon is most known for. But outside the CNBC offices, this is Sharon Epperson. I am a mother of two teens and married and living in Westchester County, New York. Sharon and author C.J. Farley were married in 1997. In fact, C.J. just released a book, Zero O'Clock, so check that out. And in our conversation around personal finance, Sharon told me about some of the early finance lessons she taught her kids. When he was a baby and I used to um, go grocery shopping with him, I'd turn him around in my carrier so that he was facing front and he could see, he kind of liked all the colors in the grocery store. But I was also, at the time, I just figured out how important unit prices are when you're in grocery store versus sale prices. So if you buy things based on what the unit price is, you are probably going to get a better deal than you just look for whatever sale because it might be a sale on something that's pricier than what you could get if you went the unit cost. Anyway, I am wonky enough that I would, yes, have these conversations with a non-speaking baby in my <laughs> in my baby carrier about why mommy's buying these peas and not those peas. 
And I don't know if any of it ever sunk in, but I think it did because he knows not to ask for anything without a coupon and not to buy anything without a coupon. So you can teach him early. All right. Sometimes taking work home with you can be a good thing. Sharon is a mental health and wellness advocate. She's focused on burnout, work-life balance, and the great resignation even. And we co-sign her advice for companies hoping to alleviate some of the stress employees feel. The story that I did talking to psychiatrists about burnout, it is a significant mental health challenge for so many people, but it's not seen as necessarily a diagnosed medical issue, but it's real. And it's the result of people feeling like I want to do the best job that I can. I'm trying to do the best job that I can. No one is really appreciating or understanding or seeing that. And so now I'm just kind of going to give up. I'm burned out. Authentic communication allows the person to understand if they're working so hard and the goals that have been set are not being made. Talk to somebody about, is it what I'm doing? Is it someone else on the team is doing? Is it because of the environment? You may feel more stress or more anxiety because of a new dynamic at work, a different dynamic at home. But just being able to share some of that, I think, can really help to alleviate burnout. Our research from the Work Human IQ team and Sharon's work have overlapped before, and we know she is as strong of a gratitude advocate as anyone. In my conversation with Emily Heafy, she mentioned that right now, competitive high-pressure environments are some of the hardest to get gratitude to sink in. Emotions are more likely to get suppressed, work-life balance is often skewing more toward just work, and psychological safety isn't in many people's vocabulary. Having reported on competitive high-pressure environments, as well as working within one herself, I wanted to know how Sharon saw it out in the field. Unfortunately, gratitude in the workplace does not happen often enough. I think that, you know, as Work Human has pointed out many times in many studies and also just in the products that you have, a simple thank you can go such a long way because often no one ever says it. Maybe there are some companies where feedback or getting some type of information about how you're doing on a project or on the skills or the service that you're providing is often given. But I've found in my career that unless you request it, there often may not be feedback unless you've messed something up. It didn't make air or <laughs> you, you got a wrong source or you spelled the name wrong or something like that. But for just doing your job, there's no thank you. And some managers may say, why should I thank you? That's in your job description. That's what you should be doing. Yes, but do you realize that they're people? So these are people that may have had a fender bender on the way to work that day, or they may have a sick child at home, but didn't want to mess up and not come in. And so they came in and left the child with a neighbor, or they may have something that happened to their house that they were dealing with the night before or that morning, and they still were able to get the project in on time. But Emily also mentioned a duality in those environments. There's still the possibility within these companies where efficiency is the main driver for more sustainable approaches to be taken within smaller groups and individuals. And Sharon's an example of that. And she is starting to see that sustainable approach breakthrough. I remember interviewing years ago at another media company, and the woman that was interviewing me said she purposely had no pictures personal pictures anywhere in her office that she didn't want people to know about her personal life. And all they needed to know was that she had a backpack and would be ready to travel at any time for whatever the story was. And I thought at that moment, this is not the company for me. <laughs> this is not the place where I want to be. But 
she was a senior level person in the company. And that obviously had worked professionally for her. But I just thought, I don't know if I could hide that part of myself. You know, part of what got me through some of those days working very long days covering the commodity markets was that my mouse pad was a picture of my daughter. And my daughter at the time was a toddler. And for the first eight years of her life, I never saw her in the morning because I had to get to work early. So that was my connection to my daughter, just to have that mouse pad kept me grounded. So anyway, I just think it's just important to keep in mind what people are leaving behind as they come to work. And I think it's important for coworkers and managers not to make them feel like not only do they have to leave it behind, but they have to hide it. That I think is not appropriate. And I think that is starting to change. Okay. I have to be honest. I have committed a journalism sin in this episode. I have buried the lead. I wanted to introduce you to Sharon as you might get to know her in life. You know what she does, a little bit about her family, you know what's important to her. But there's one more thing you have to know about Sharon to understand how she sees the world. I am also a brain aneurysm survivor. In 2016, Sharon was working out at the gym when she suffered a rupture of a brain aneurysm. She had a headache so intense she could barely make it to her car. She called her husband, they rushed to the hospital before being rushed to another hospital for emergency surgery. Miraculously, Sharon not only survived, she also didn't sustain any permanent brain damage. Now, Sharon's experience is a reminder of the stakes of gratitude. I know we don't like to talk about this stuff. It's hard to talk about this stuff. But this is in the terms of service of connecting with someone that we don't read very closely. At any point, life reserves the right to change like that. And it might not be a brain aneurysm. It might not even be near fatal. But in addition to the wide range of celebratory life events, there's a range of painful ones too. And in those times, gratitude is one of the few things you can fall back on. This episode is not about those painful events. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not. Sharon working her way back was trying and exhausting and incredibly difficult, just as you might imagine. What it is about is a very important consideration of the recovery process from an event like that. A consideration that seems absolutely trivial at first, but eventually is impossible to ignore. And that's the idea of going back to work. One of the first things I remember telling one of my friends is I could never go back to work. I just couldn't imagine that kind of responsibility. I couldn't imagine going on camera. I had half my head shaved. So that was part of the reason, the vain reason. And I just didn't think I would go back to work. I had tremendous support from friends from work, but I kind of spoke to them when I was recovering with the caveat, I can't talk about work because it just added to my stress in thinking about how I would get back there. And in fact, I didn't speak to my direct manager and I do have an agent who was talking to my employer throughout this process, but I didn't really have a kind of a one-on-one -on -one with my manager until the week before I went back to work one year after I'd had this injury. So HR was very supportive, but I was very nervous about coming back to work. And I would say that I think the gratitude that my company showed toward me, and I'd already worked for the company for 20 years, was that I was able to come back in a way that allowed me to do my job, but at the pace and at the level, I was able to do it when I first came back. So it was only a couple hours, a couple days a week, and I gradually ramped up. And I would say it took me probably about three years to get to full-time five days a week. 
I just really didn't have the stamina and was not healthy enough to work full time. And one of the things that I think changed when I say I just didn't feel like the same Sharon Epperson, I do believe that I was wearing a bit of a mask. I think many workers do, not just because I was on TV, but there is a presence that you may have at work that's different than you would in your personal life. No, no problem. There's no, I got that. I can take care of that. And part of it is you want to make sure that you present yourself with authority and that you know what the job, you know what you're doing. I felt so vulnerable having been so ill. And to come back, I just didn't know how to present myself. And one of my nurses aides told me that the fact that I made it and that I wanted to come back to work and that I'd worked hard over the course of a year in my recovery of not being in work, my therapy, physical therapy and neuropsych therapy, everything, that I had a testimony and, and I needed to come, I needed to go to work. But I also needed to be honest at work and share when appropriate my vulnerability, just be authentic. Who am I right now? And that word is so overused, but truly it's important to just be who you are and be proud of that. And so I don't know if I thought about myself and my career that way before my injury, but now I absolutely do. And so now I see people differently. I see my colleagues, again, 20 years, I'd already been at this company. So I thought I knew everybody, (laughs) knew a lot of stuff about a lot of people. I interact now, I think, with people on a very different level because I'm always curious and not everyone's open to share and not everyone should share, but what's really going on. Sharon will be the first person to tell you how lucky and appreciative she was that she worked at a company that gave her that time and space. It's not a guarantee for everyone. But there was still pressure. She's in a public-facing role at a high-profile company. She might have felt a sense of psychological safety, but that doesn't mean it was a complete sense. I was speaking to a Harvard Business School professor who's written about this extensively and is awesome on this topic, Amy Edmondson. And when she was describing it, I thought, how insane is it that we have to talk about psychological safety at work? And I know we do because I know people don't feel comfortable because I didn't. I had that mask on for 20 years, right? But what do you do? You need your job. You need your income. You don't want to leave that place, but it's not healthy to be in that kind of environment. So I think companies need to realize that they're going to lose valuable human capital, intellectual capital, because people are not going to want to stay in an environment where they do not feel safe. And it doesn't take a ton of money to make people feel safe, psychologically safe in their workplace. It takes just basic human gifts, kindness, gratitude, humility, thankfulness. I mean, it's just very basic things that don't cost a lot or anything at all. So I think that's really, really important. And I think because I have been vulnerable, honest, open about what I went through, that I'm finding people at work sharing with me things about their health issues, their mental health issues, their family issues, and not that they're complaining or constantly going on about it, but someone to listen because you're spending the majority of your day of your working hours at the office or working on a project remotely and talking to somebody who gets it can help a lot. And it doesn't have to just be an injury or a, or a medical crisis. It really doesn't. I hope it doesn't. If there's anything you take away from this episode or this series, it's that you should not wait for a crisis to start practicing gratitude. Do it now. And it doesn't have to be grand. It can be quick and easy. And Sharon has an example of a way that you could start. 
in the last month or so, I was on a call, on a Zoom call with colleagues or a Teams call with colleagues, and we were talking about a project we're working on. And someone mentioned, I can't remember why it came up. I don't think we were going to do a story on it, but maybe it was some way she was trying to access some documents. And she was like, I just have to make sure I'm connected again after the flood. And I was like, I wonder where she lives because... On September 1st, I had the remnants of Hurricane Ida in my basement, six feet of water, and I went through a flood. And that's like just trying to work and deal with insurance and cleaning up your house and all that. It's just a lot. And there were many people in this area, I live in the New York metropolitan area, that went through it. So that evening, this colleague, I happened to have her cell number. Most of us have each other's cell numbers now working remotely. And I called her and I left a message and I said, Joe, this is Sharon calling. It has nothing to do with work. I'm just calling as Sharon, your friend, to check in on you and see how you're doing. You mentioned the flood. I just wanted to make sure and see how you're managing through it and let you know I'm going through the same thing. So you're not alone. She called me right back and we talked again like friends. It's not like we talk that often. I had no idea that she lives 15 minutes from me. And so that's why we both had water in our homes. But it was just a way to connect on a real level. And she is absolutely someone prior to this that I would show gratitude to. When we work on projects together, I'm always sending a thank you note or send, you know, and copying people who are on the team too so they know because she does a great job and she gives 110%. And so I knew that here's somebody who always gives 110%, just happened to mention it because it was an aside. It wasn't she was complaining in a meeting or she just was kind of explaining a delay, but everyone is going through something. That is what I have absolutely learned from my experience is that everyone is going through something. And the way that they present at work at times, you would never, ever know how much in their personal lives they're struggling with. So to say thank you for that project, when in the grand scheme of things, even though it may be important to the company, it is so minor in terms of their life experience. It's important to just say thank you. It goes such a long way. As Sharon said, everybody's got something going on and it's made a lot easier when they are in an environment they feel safe in, surrounded by people they feel grateful for. And that's something we can all influence in some measure. Emily Heafy suggested talking up someone's strengths. Elizabeth Stoko reminded us to choose words with intention. And if someone does something you're grateful for, Emiliana Simon Thomas encouraged us to do something for someone else and keep that feeling of gratitude going. That is a wrap on Measures of Gratitude. I want to thank Sharon Epperson for joining us and sharing her story. You can see all of the great reporting she is doing by following her on Twitter at Sharon underscore Epperson. I want to thank the guests, Emily Heafy, Elizabeth Stoko, Emiliana Simon-Thomas, who joined us, as well as all of you for listening and sharing. I hope it helped. We are a production of Work Human. All episodes were edited and mixed by Rob Valois and written and produced by Sarah Blasnalis, Sarah Mulcahy, and me. I will not talk to you next week, but more podcasts from Work Human are coming. You can subscribe to our newsletter at the link in our show notes so you never miss what's new, and you can check out the topics and research that we are constantly producing at workhuman.com. But for now, so long.